0: Things, early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z, with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show. Okay, take two. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Jack and Ollie Show. I'm Jack. And I'm Ollie. And today we have with us Anna Champion. Hi, Anna. Hello. Thank you for coming, and the topic for today, something a little bit different yeah. from what we've done so far, and it's part of our global series on graduate recruitment, and we're going to be starting with Asia. Um, we've got Anna with us, as I mentioned, she's a really experienced graduate recruiter with more than 10 years of experience in the Asian market, and she's one of the founders of the Southeast Asian Association of Graduate Employers, also known as SAGE. And In addition to that, she also runs the Hong Kong Graduate Employers Network. Thanks for coming along.
1: Pleasure. Nice to be here.
0: Yeah, and also we've got to say that Anna did
1: bring
2: very special. Uh, we've never had a gift brought to us on never. the Early Careers Podcast, but
0: today has been the day. Hopefully, it'll be the beginning of a trend. <laughs> so we've got some Cadbury's chocolate fingers. There yes. are other chocolate fingers you can buy, but they're the best ones. The best ones. Yeah. So yeah, thank you, Anna. That is yeah, really exceptional.
1: Pleasure. Appropri- appropriately Asian, I feel. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, they're not quite. Eh? We worked out that they're not quite born in Asia, owned by Mondelez, which are American, and dairy milk is from Cadbury's, which is Birmingham, but they're sold in Asia. So there we go. There's the theme Six of the day go, yes. on Asia, and we're good to go.
0: Right, so <laughs> uh, maybe you could let us know a little bit about your background, Anna, and how you ended up in Asia and the things you've been doing there in the last decade.
1: Sure. So, um, I I started my career here in in the UK, Mm -hmm. um, working in the legal graduate recruitment and development side and then um, into banking. Um, And then about 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to move across to Singapore. Um, I was in Singapore for five years, heading up uh, campus recruitment and development for Asia for Barclays Capital. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was there that I noticed that in comparison to in the uk where we have a lot of support around um with the the institute of student employers or agr as it was then yep. i had i had very little support in terms of people to turn to if i had questions or data and um, provided mm. um and that really sparked the 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 thought to start the sage the southeast asian association of graduate employers so because i just s- take it for
0: granted don't you when you you know when you have access to a network and the information the research and
1: yeah absolutely really I mean there are network there were networks there right, okay. um, but not in the same way, and it wasn't to the same death um and I mean some of the things that used to happen were were quite. Um, different in terms of the things that people used to do. So, for example, oh, yeah. when I first arrived, um, all the banks used to share the intern CVs no with good. each other, which was totally crazy. Yeah, um, it makes
0: life easier, though, in one way,
1: right? Yeah, if you know where your competitors are hiring, <laughs> you just go in. But we, but we needed to move on and we needed to have a bit more format and a bit more strategy towards um, recruitment mm-hmm. um, and to move it forward, I think, in terms of a, an industry. Right. And so that's where the, the the setup of the Southeast Asian Association of Graduates employers came about mm. I then a catchy title I know <laughs> rolls off the tongue completely yeah. um and then um I actually then moved to Norway which was slightly random but um we had a, a family move to, to Norway yep. um, and I was there for a year and a half and in that time uh trained to be a coach and then moved back to Hong Kong uh five years ago um, and we, I, I then set up my own company at that time and had my own company for a while, consulting and building. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, we also realized that the Hong Kong network needed a bit of refreshing. So I worked with right. somebody else to refresh that, that network. Um, and to continue to build. So we now have, I guess we have about 80, 90 people um, from different organisations, universities, okay. um, employers, etc. In, in the Hong Kong one. Yeah. And the SAGE one has continued to, to build. Should we start
0: yeah. with SAGE when you're in Singapore? So I guess yeah. because it's, 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 it's a, a wider remit, right? It's not just Singapore. So where does that include? Does it include anywhere within... Yeah,
1: Asia. I mean, it, uh, the the difficulty is with either of the Hong Kong or s- SAGE is most mm. people have a wide um, Asia or even APAC um, yeah. um, remit. So, Which
2: includes the Pacific, yes. Australia, right? Uh, Oceania, probably, so you've got Australasia, right. New, New Zealand, you'd probably get all the, the islands as well.
1: Is yeah, although there are, I mean, there's, so there's also, um, I'm sure many people have met Ben Reeves when he's been over. Yeah, he's yeah. the head of the, of the Australian... Um, graduate employers I think a a g e
2: he's the tall curly haired guys yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: and so so they have their own um, association but but a lot of people in in Asia will have that remit of hiring from many different countries, so even if you 're based in Singapore, you may also have remit over Hong Kong and China, India. Uh, the Philippines is coming out more, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, really. Malaysia um, and then we're also seeing um, Vietnam coming in as well, oh, okay. um, so so the, the remit is quite wide, yep. but we've set them up separately because of location in terms of being able to deliver things, but what we're starting to see is more and more, um, if we're doing a webinar or things, we're trying to build them between the two, um, okay. two com- okay. communities. Um, so SAGE actually have, they have a conference each year, um, which is increasingly um, popular and people will fly across from different parts of, of, of the, the, the region to go to those events. So. Yeah. Is that always in Singapore? Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So.
2: Great, great background. So I think, the, I guess the aim of today is to try and work out, I guess, the intricacies of what happens out mm. in Asia. So I guess share with everyone here in the UK to think, you know, what can we learn from, uh, from Asia Um, It's a bit different. And also just to get a bit of perspective, because I guess a lot of listeners will be um, graduate recruiters in the UK, Mm -hmm. whether universities as well, or schools and colleges. So I think just an insight into what it's like Mm -hmm. doing a very similar job, but on a very different part of the world, um, would be really, really useful. Um, So one of our first questions. In fact, some of the... um, Research we've done about the complexities mm-hmm. of doing yeah, this. Good, yeah. A
0: bit of background on how it differs, right? A bit of background. It's a bit bigger, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, just a little bit bigger. So, I looked at some research. How mm. many countries do you think there are in Asia?
0: 403.
2: That's too many. There's oh. 192, 193 <laughs> yeah, just, in the UN. Yeah. Just kidding. Yeah.
1: Uh, oh, go uh, on. Do I need to... D- d- this I mean, is going to look really <laughs> terrible if I get it wrong, though. <laughs> 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 I've got the Have you got right the here. answer already? No, I've written yeah. it down. I'm guessing it's about 30.
2: 30 plus 18 is correct, so 48 Very countries. Very good, yeah, exactly
1: Not right. bad. 30
0: million square kilometres, so the 30 bit was also correct
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I meant,
0: really.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, we worked out, actually, and this is for APAC, there's about 4.2 billion people wow. in AIPAC. Um, which is quite a yeah, majority of the whole of the world. Mm-hmm. Compare that to the UK, so obviously you've got four countries mm-hmm. in the UK. Um, that covers 245,000 square kilometres and there's sixty-six million people. So in comparison, we've worked out there's basically ten times more countries. Uh, looking at Asia and APAC, it's 122 times larger. oh wow, you really have figured in size. Oh yeah. I've done some research. Yeah, and there's sixty-four times the amount of people.
0: Wow, does that mean you well. get sixty-four times as many applications? Wow. We'll come on to that later, I suppose. <laughs>
2: Maybe. And also looking at also the obvious differences, uh, time zones. Yes. So yeah, there's 11 different time zones, 14 different languages, usually split into your English, your Cantonese, Mandarin, Korean. I'm sure there's loads of other uh, ones in there too. And obviously the cultural differences as well. There's going to be some real big differences there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because actually a lot of people just view Asia as one country. From yeah. outside, yeah, right. um, I mean, I certainly even thought that when I first arrived in Singapore and had to fly to Japan, and was surprised that it took me six hours to get there. Um, yeah, right. So, you, even you know, people that are st- supposedly knowing stuff about it don't always see it as as the differences. So, yeah,
0: yeah, and, and I suppose that's also slightly more difficult, especially if some of these businesses are headquartered in the UK or the US, and they're not spending a huge amount of time there, and they're setting the same sorts of targets and expectations they do for their teams in, in other places it's actually probably quite a lot more difficult if you've got your campus visits. Yeah. You might need to travel to six countries to do that Mm. rather than, you know, take the train on six days of the week. Not six days of the week because they don't usually do them five days of the week. (laughs) (laughs) You get what I mean.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and and, how do you battle
2: that? Well, I
1: mean, even on top of that, you also have the different um schedules that the universities have in different countries as well. So, we're talking about um Australia if you have got Australia, or even if you're trying to target Asian students that are in um other countries as well, which is which is Is a common approach, that's a very common approach. So, when you're t- talking about Asia, that's one part of it. So that would be the the local candidates. Yeah. But you also then have all of the students that go over. And I've actually done a bit of research as well. So There's um, with I know I've got research. some stats here. I, I, I only got a few, so I'll, I'll be careful how we use them. But there is um, apparently the demand for higher education in China has increased by 43% in the last 10 years. Um, wow. But um, that actually that number is actually 78% increase overseas, so Chinese students actually studying right. overseas. So there's
0: been a big increase in the number of Chinese students going to university or want to go to university. Yeah. And the, most of that growth has been actually those students going overseas to study.
1: Totally. I mean, I think yeah. we're, we're starting to see a change in that, but that sure. in the last 10 years that has been a big, big, big change. Yeah. And so you've got these Chinese or Singaporean Hong Kong students um, or Indian students or any any country really overseas. So they could be in Australia, they could be, um, which operates on a completely different schedule. So they're our worst, I guess, in terms of trying to fit them into the the, the recruitment, right. where you actually, they start in January, February time, uh, or because they graduate around December. And okay. so the cycle's completely different to um, the s- the hemisphere here, in terms of European timelines, yeah, really. um, and then you've got America schools. Um, so, definitely, historically, people would have gone over to the US and done a big road trip yeah. and then gone back again to recruit from the US. Right. And, and they're
0: going all the way there specifically looking for homes or uh, Asian students who are studying elsewhere to get them to, when they come back home, to go and work in these, these businesses.
1: Absolutely. And, 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 that's, and that's based around the perception that somebody who has studied internationally may have other skills or may be more suitable for a multinational company. Yeah. Um, I I think there's always been kind of the pedestal of the UK universities, and that is something that actually is changing, and the US universities. Uh, I can recall going onto campus in the US not so long ago, and we we were interviewing some guy who was at Princeton, Mm -hmm. and I asked him, you know what brought you to Princeton, yeah. and um, he actually said, "Well, actually, I couldn't get into any of the universities in Singapore. I wasn't academically strong enough," wow. which was a big, big change. Um, so I went back to my business, said, "Look, we're hiring the seconds here." You know, in terms yeah. of that, but it's but it's not just about the academics. It's about the the skills that they pick up. There's an expectation that a student that's studying overseas will have got better English language skills, obviously, and, yeah. and some of the softer skills where um, in Asia the focus really is on the academics um, and it's a very process driven uh, academic system or it has been in the past we are seeing changes there but that's yeah. historically that's what's, so what's how does
2: that uh, that's really interesting Like, how, how does that differ do you think then to the UK like because we've obviously got a strong academic system yeah but do you think there's more of a focus vocationally here or there's more that? Well, yeah you... that, well,
1: that, that is a really interesting question because and you actually because what you see in the u k and it 's actually something that people in Asia struggle with is actually people will pick a degree subject that they enjoy for whatever reason, so you might have yeah. your ancient history or your um mm.
2: Human rights, which hum- objectives? The so. Human rights.
1: Yeah. With law and human
0: rights. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. But yeah. you missed the important part <laughs> there.
1: Yeah. But 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 what they typically are not necessarily the vocational. Although I think you're starting to see more, more yeah. degrees. Whereas actually in Asia they tend to be. we have a lot more STEM subjects. Um, but we also have um, people studying business or um, related subjects that they believe will give them. The right to to work and, and have yeah. that. But but I think the difference, the main difference is that their focus is in the classroom, whereas uh, UK university, it's not just about the experiences in the classroom. It's about the, yeah. the whole uh, educational experience of going away from home, um, working, being involved in sports societies or whatever yeah. like that, that in the past in Asia has not been so pushed um, and certainly even when I'm looking at CVs or helping students put together their CVs they're often very scared to put their extracurricular activities on there because they right. believe a long list of academic accolades better. is better than yeah. anything else
0: I suppose there's some practical differences I think it was something we mentioned about when we were talking um, earlier we were you were, we were talking about um, some of the psychometric tests that people do, Mm. like numerical reasoning and verbal reasoning, it tends to be that people score much higher in Asia than they do, say, in in Europe. Yeah. And therefore, um, if you have the same benchmark level, you actually get a whole... uh, It defeats the purpose of having the the assessment selection process because you get... You don't eliminate people, you have more people going through. Absolutely. And that's kind of interesting, like some practical... um, And I suppose that's also when it comes to interviews as well. you're asking questions about what they're doing outside of their academics yeah people might basically no, i'm not doing anything even though they are
1: yeah and then there's definitely a fear around what can i share and it it also relates to work experience as well so what you typically see on an asian cv is say for example they've been interested in investment banking Mm. is that you will see a series of investment banking internships like every single year will be the same internship but with a different company um whereas um I know, I know from, from not just me, but other employers as well in Asia, and I think particularly in the UK as well, we actually like to see different things that have built their skills up rather than doing the same thing day in, day out. So yes, for example, right, with, yeah. with trading, for example, an internship in trading, to do one's okay but you can't actually trade so actually to continuously do a trading internship actually adds very little benefit to right. your CV so actually trying to get them to think about what the transferable skills that they've had from other experiences you're very unlikely to see even though many may, may have worked in their family business at something they don't tend to put that on their CV either. Right because um, so they've got
0: loads of really great stuff that actually as an, as an you know as an employer looking to select people for the business you'd love to see but yeah so that it's hard to try and coax that out of people
1: yeah mm-hmm. and, and I think the and other think thing important
0: that, or do you just skip over it and you just you just just you just do it in a different way
1: no I think mm-hmm. it's important and I think yeah. I think it's important in terms of um understanding that the pressure on academics in in Asia is so big um that they won't have naturally been encouraged to think Think outside of, of what they're picking up from from elsewhere. Yeah, so makes I think, sense
2: right. You're doing the academic route to be academic.
1: Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and and that's what the belief is around. You know, academics will be the route. The knowledge that you have is more yeah. important. Um, I mean, there's lots of differences in terms of the universities anyway in terms of how they work together. So in a, in an Asian university, if you ask them to do teamwork, mm-hmm. the way that they work in a team is different to the UK and, I, and the US, and I hear that a lot when I talk to students who've gone and done an exchange in a, in a different university. Okay. On, so, for example, when an Asian group are asked to work together, yeah. they will allocate the task very quickly and say, okay, um, you know, Ollie, you do this. Jack, you do this, and and, yeah. and, and Anna, you, I'll I'll take this this part of it, and we'll all go off and work on our separate parts, and then put them together. Yeah. Whereas in the UK, and I think it's the same in the US, we typically work together on some of those things. We might allocate a few tasks, but we're probably a more united team. Mm. Um, and that's that's something that's quite tricky for an Asian student to understand that when they when we talk about teamwork, that teamwork actually is different. It's
2: together, yeah.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Um, you you mentioned sort of close to the beginning actually we were talking about um how um actually a lot of the recruitment or at least a part of the recruitment for asia is actually done outside asia Mm -hmm. does that mean that you will tend to work with your teams in other parts of the world or and if you don't do you think you should do that more in terms of Finding those students, having them find those students for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, so, the inter- so there's a couple of ways that different companies do this. And um, I, I actually think the best model, but it doesn't happen very often because most people don't have the, the, the money or the, uh, the resource to do this, is to have an Asia Pacific, Asia specific recruiter yeah. based in a different location. Because right. um, even in the best will of the world, when you're working with a recruitment team, that's overseas they don't understand all the intricacies of what you're looking for or, or, or what's open to them so right. it, it often gets often if a candidate is in the UK um, for example um, and they see them at a, a career fair or whatever and they're interested in Asia that that connection doesn't always get made I haven't seen many companies do that. Really well. Um, there's other companies where they're only based in Asia and they come over to the UK mm. and they struggle again with building the relationships with the universities because uh, ultimately you're competing with people who are on campus pretty much, you know, con- contacting students yeah, all the time. Uh, whereas actually, you know, coming over the time limits that you have to be overseas is really difficult. Yeah. Um, so you tend to come just once or twice a year maximum. Yeah. So, So
2: how would it work? How does the the process work then? Because we know in the the UK you've got, I guess, you've got kind of online media, you can do publications, you're on a campus, do presentations. There's a range of different things you can do. But location wise, it's very difficult to do the whole range of those things across all the locations in Asia to to get out there. So, what, what would a typical makeup look like?
1: So, I mean, I think there's, there's certainly some work that needs to be done. And we're, and we're seeing some interesting things that are happening. People are starting to try different things. Um, but, there, I mean, the, the advance of technology is really helping this. And there, yeah. there are some companies in Asia that have gone all um, virtual yeah, um, just, and just, just kind of gone with that approach um, to... to the difficulty there is the generation coming through do not want that they want to meet people face to face and i think i think where it's where i've seen more successful is is utilising people who are coming across whatever business area they are within in their business. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you're on a business trip, it's just asking people to go and build the relationship. Have you got time while you're in the UK? Could you go and visit your alum- alumni? Because a lot of people would be alumni. Or utilising that approach, that seems to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there's still a lot of work to be done, to be honest, in terms of yeah. how this works. Um, the interesting thing is that I guess in the last 10 years... We've also seen a big change around students from Asia used to go to the UK or the US with the intention to stay in those locations. And now we're seeing more people wanting to return, so they're using it as a leverage to to be um, in a different country to come back. Um, But that presents a whole load of issues around um, engagement. The expectation of somebody who's been overseas is more, so they tend to be screened a bit harder in terms of we expect them to have better language skills and we expect them to be more commercially aware because they've been overseas and that doesn't always filter through because unfortunately a lot of students just as I guess I have done a little bit in Asia you tend to stick with people who you've got the the connection with before so immediately in a room I can probably find the English person and, and and you know Go and talk to them. Not that mm-hmm. so they haven't got friends from other backgrounds, but you know that's that's a natural mm. inclination, and that certainly happens here. Is that Asian students tend to stick together, and yeah. therefore some of the international exposure they don't actually get, despite being overseas. Yeah.
2: Especially because some, I guess, some of the unis that do have like large, um, I guess, populations of overseas and certainly Asian communities, like they, they all, like I said, there's so many of them, they mm. all kind of stick together, like uh, like Loughborough in London. Like a vast proportion of the postgrads grads that there are all Chinese. Yeah. So yes, they're coming to the UK to get an education and uh, obviously uh, learn and live in London. But if they're all going to stick together, that obviously might hinder it a little bit. Mm, right. But that's tough, because you'd do the same if you went, you know, if you did Camp America when you were younger and went to America, you'd obviously integrate as much as you could, but you'd want to stick with some people you knew and yeah. felt comfortable with.
0: Yeah, we've got cultural context and various other things, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, do you think there's... um do you think that could be a real good learning by businesses? So lots of um, businesses within a location, say in the UK mm-hmm. with the ISE or um, in Asia with um, Sage, mm-hmm. they talk to each other a lot within within their community. Yeah. But it, it, I don't know whether it is the case, but it seems like it's not the case that um, an individual business that might be global actually talks to their counterparts within the same business. Mm. Do you think that's um, a limitation? Do you think that happens as much as it... <laughs>
1: Uh, interestingly, I actually spoke to a company. I'll leave them nameless, but they actually had never met the connection in Asia. Right. Uh, they'd never been connected with them. I, th- I think some companies get it really. They they have these global calls, yeah. um, but I mean, I think I've, I've flagged to you before that when we've we've been talking that you know I even I'm I'm a pretty extroverted person who likes to have their opinions <laughs> heard, and even in, in the situation where I'm on, a, I've been in a call with people in the UK. Um, sometimes it 's hard to 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 actually put your point forward as well um because especially if everybody 's in one location together then actually if you 're the sole person in Asia representing right. it, and often often it 's a the calls in an anti social time, Asian um, population, you, you get used to taking calls very late at night mm-hmm. um, to fit with the UK, yeah. particularly if you've got to put US on there as wow. well. And so I think sometimes the engagement's not as big. So sometimes you might not push through some of the ideas you have as much as yeah. you Part would do. Allies, yeah. You probably
0: miss certain conversations that are with it that are not just on the call, there's other conversations exactly. going right, on that you, you miss.
1: Exactly. And that's a really interesting thing. I mean, it's interesting in terms of how do you help any graduates that you have that are even going across to Asia and having exposure or anywhere in the locations, how do you build, bring, bring them together um, and keep, the, keep them involved? So
0: That perspective might be really useful to you know anyone who's based in the UK who, is on the, who are on these calls without realising maybe not, well, excluding or not necessarily giving enough uh, thought to their colleagues who are Located remotely, they don't you see them all the time, they have a call with them once a month or whatever yeah. it might be, and a few emails, probably lots of emails between them, but it's not the same as it? it's being in a room with somebody and no. spending hours a day with somebody.
1: And you also have, um, which I notice uh, that you notice in your teams in Asia, there's, there's definitely still a, a huge hierarchy. So right. I could be talking to the girls in my team before... Um, and they would be giving me all the ideas because they were quite happy to, to share them with me, yeah. but I would then go in front of someone in the business, and these were bright girls that had lots of ideas, and sometimes they'd then expect me to be the one that gave the ideas and wouldn 't take the floor and right. so So you have that as well in terms of if there 's an expectation that the person in the u k for example is more it has a higher level of superiority then they might not they might not be able to be involved there 's a great great example i think um, of uh, I think it was Korean Airways where they had problems with um, uh, it wasn't Korean Airways one of the airlines anyway <laughs> An airline. in 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 Asia yeah. who struggled with um, safety and the safety problem was was that the junior would never question the captain yeah. right. um, and so right. what they did was they actually changed the language to English in the cockpit because then that meant that actually it gave them more right to be able to question it yeah. but if you imagine that that's the situation then. First, it's hard to get yourself heard sometimes, but secondly, if you have that expectation that you're not as important either, then you might not be bringing up the ideas or be as comfortable to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's definitely something that is important to realize.
0: Yeah, because probably businesses are missing out on great stuff and great ideas that people have got, or even stuff that they're plowing into that might not be a good idea. the, The person who's listening is thinking, that's never gonna work. So <laughs> and,
1: and that and that's definitely the case because a lot of decisions get made in the headquarters and then yep. they get farmed out. So and then and then actually when they get to Asia, there's that whole complication of something that might work in Hong Kong might not work in Singapore. It might not work in China. Uh, I can remember years ago that there was something about colours that our marketing material came through and the colours were actually completely wrong. Right. Um, for for China, and that it wouldn't be noticed. So so and, and and clever plays on words and things like that sometimes yeah, right. aren't aren't taken are take, taken so well. So that that's definitely something to think about.
2: Yeah. So would you have to adapt your I guess branding and all your messaging? Obviously, you would have to change the language and stuff. Yeah. But would you have to change the the way it's structured and
1: sometimes? So yeah. I, I mean, my my advice on that is always to find some to ensure that if you're building a global strategy for, for your marketing is actually to find somebody who has somebody in Asia that knows Asia yeah. because um, definitely that, I've been in cases where we've had push of something or an activity on campus or things that just mm. won't sit well yeah. um, and as you say it could be different in the different locations within Asia as well so actually having somebody who knows the different elements of Asia and the different types of population is also important.
0: Okay, Do you think that um, somebody who's a graduate recruiter in Asia, mm-hmm. um, because they have a much wider variety, so many different um, things to consider. Do you think it makes them a better, better graduate recruiter? I'd love to. I'd love to <laughs> Great say yes.
1: <laughs> um, obviously, you know those that have been in Asia for a long time are, mm-hmm. are clearly better. <laughs> um, no, but, um, I know, but I'd love to say yes. I think the problem that we have in our market in Asia is that we have. Um, we still have a lot of turnaround, um, and 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 having a career in graduates it's not seen as a necessary career path that you would want to take so actually a lot of them are encouraged to go outside of the graduate space or early early career space into more generalist roles and things so so we don't have the same quantity of experience within our in in our market those that are experienced are are incredibly experienced and understand Mm. there's some brilliant people out in asia but the junior people don't always have that That scope. So it's it's something that that's one of the other reasons that we set up the Southeast Asian Association Graduate Employers and the Hong Kong um, network was to try and push careers in in this this area and to develop more talent. Right. Um, So that's that was one of the things that we wanted to do. That's one of our objectives. Give it more Mm. status and have people understand it. Yeah. Yeah. And to see that there's more than just an operational role.
2: Yeah. Well, even in the UK. Early careers is seen as a stepping stone Mm -hmm. before you go into experienced hire. But like you say, it's actually really important to make sure that if you stay in there, you're going to become an expert. Yeah. Um, But it's
0: much more common for people to to stay in it, though, aren't there? Lots of people do stay in early careers recruitment for their entire careers.
2: Of course. But it sounds like in Asia that they, there isn't as much of that.
1: No, not at the moment. I mean, there's, there are, there's some, some senior yeah. people now. But, but yeah, we, in the past, we haven't had that. There's been a lot of parachuting somebody in. So if we were looking for, for hiring talent, it would often come from the UK or the US market yeah. into Asia. Um, and we're now starting to see some really good homegrown people. But it, it's taking time. Yeah, um, makes
2: sense. So maybe there's more opportunities outside of the UK. Hmm.
1: There definitely are.
0: <laughs> oh, well, I've got a question. I meant to say it earlier.
2: Go on then. Um, is it relevant see, or is it? Uh, I don't know.
0: Let's see. <laughs> let's find out. What is your favourite? I- no. Uh, <laughs> so there's 64 times more people in Asia. Yeah. Do you find yourself getting huge numbers of applications or it doesn't work like that? Because people, are, it's a geographically based role.
1: Yeah that's a good question uh, like uh, so numbers do tend to be big and I think we're still a little bit hung up on getting big numbers of applications right. um, you also get i think you get more people that are not fake but they kind of go through that I can't remember there's, there's a terminology for mm-hmm. people that don't don't really want to make a genuine application so we get a lot more um, of those as well right
0: what is um, the please
1: families i don't know i mean i don't know around that i think it's just uh, you know even just trialing to go through to the, oh, right, the tests okay. to see what the tests are and things yeah, like sure. that so i think i think we still see that but i mean generally the numbers are pretty high mm. um you don't get you do get interest in internship but the conversion from internship to graduate program is a lot We're world are further behind on that yeah um How come? i think it's just historically um there hasn't been such a great turnaround, people haven't and and maybe it's because of the strategic conversations so there isn't a discussion around internships feeding into the graduate programme or there's always this fear that there might be someone better out there and so they hold off from making the offers Um, so, so it's not that unheard of that some people will go to an internship and then have to either reapply or go back through a certain part of the process to get their full time yeah. job, which obviously in the UK you would never have. Yeah. Uh, or it's most companies such a waste go of time, straight it, and, to... it? Yeah, and that's I think it's an education thing. It'll yeah. take time. We, the numbers have definitely increased. You definitely see, and people. It's not that people aren't doing internships. It's just that they don't necessarily see it as a strategy around. If actually you put all your effort into the internship I got the right people on the internship, yeah. and then filtered through you'd have less work to do which is something that the UK cottoned on many years ago yeah. I just don't think we've done we've done that
0: do you, uh, um, do you think I think it will do you think I like, think it will I think yeah. we're
1: moving in that direction it's just taking time
0: yeah I don't suppose you have any um, more specific numbers, like the number of um, applications per place? or
1: I don't, and this is something that we're, we're desperately in need of, is yeah. more data for us. Um, and and that it's interesting, that's one of the reasons that I um, have a close connection with ISE, is because I can get data yeah. that I can then compare with. It, doesn't, it won't give me exactly... The, the answers, but it gives Maybe me a bit kind of, of it. Benchmarks. It's something that we've been talking about um, a number of years um, to try and do some more data. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is when you're talking to a market where people haven't been used to collecting data in yeah. the same way, um, that actually y- it's difficult for them. It it's kind of scares them off to ask the, for, for the data. So it, that will take time to build up yeah. as well.
2: So if you're getting loads of applications in, how yeah. are we, how are we filtering those, and how are we going through? To dare uh, I say, assessment centres when you've got people all over different countries.
1: Yeah, so so it's I mean it's broadly the same basis. So a lot of people mm. in Asia will utilise a system that looks very similar. So I, I think I think a lot of companies um, they will set the the tone because there's also this concern around if, for example, you have graduates in Asia, you want them to have the same quality as you do in other locations. So yeah. so you know you've got to have it broadly similar. Um, there are some universities and countries that ask us to do to to fulfill in certain ways, so India would be one of those examples where actually you have to go on campus to hire from the Indian Institutes of management right. and they have these crazy uh, but you have to
0: like, conduct the interview you there. You have to
1: conduct the interview there, and they right. they, they have this crazy system where it's. Uh, I think it started as three days, but now they've added day zero in front of one, two, and three. And depending <laughs> on who on you are forward? and your importance, <laughs> you, well, I think well they push yeah well they push push the more important <laughs> companies to day zero. Right. Um, so the banks and the. Um, consultancies tend to be on day zero now um, but that's a crazy situation where you literally go through their their book of cvs uh, or they can apply to your system and they can go through a couple of tests before you see them yeah. but on, you actually have to interview them in in a very short period of time, and it starts at 7.30 in the morning, offers start about 7.45, and they start whispering round. But you might not get to see everybody who's on your list, because they may have accepted an offer somewhere else. It's absolutely mad. (sighs) Um, Sounds um, exciting. Yeah. Oh, it's very, yeah, the energy.
2: But isn't that a great way of doing it? That you just do it all in one day, like in the US, they do quite a lot of campus yes. interviews as well.
1: And that, and that's another area that we have the same. I, I think, I think it is to a certain extent. I think what happens though is, um, particularly somewhere like India. So if you have alumni from that, from those universities, um, they have, if they see a ranking of the, so there's there's this all Indian ranking which is basically. Um, where you stand in the whole of India in, in terms of your, your exams before you get to university. Like everyone
2: that has a ranking? I
1: don't know if it's everyone, but at a higher level, oh, yes. So you can, if you see an Indian CV, you often see all Indian ranking there. Um, but if my uh, alumni from that university would see somebody who was very high, they would immediately want to offer that person based on the fact that this was one of the best students in in the whole of india yeah. but actually in a short interview what we then found was that they weren't actually checking for suitability or how they would fit into the culture so actually it didn't always work that well a so rush
0: and you just look at at a few metrics, and you go, look, they're they're in the top 2,000. Amazing, we've got to get this person. And and if I don't get them, someone else can offer them in the next next interview.
1: Yeah, and that that certainly comes through. So you start hearing on your list, they're like, oh, well, you've lost 10 people because they've been offered by, I don't know which other bank or consultancy. And so the pressure becomes bigger to make decisions quicker. And then you can't let, they can't leave you, if they leave you, they can. They. They don't. They don't have to accept your offer. There's. You know. There's. There's rules around it. So basically, people are pressurizing them to make a decision quickly, and us <laughs> to make a decision quickly. So it is. It. it so does, is there anything
0: good about it? <laughs> I mean, you know, just, just absolutely
1: sounds- hilarious thing to do, and it's great fun. Yes. Um, so but should it, so. everybody so should do it as an experience. experience I think. Yeah.
0: Do you know how they do it in the US, Ollie? You were saying that. I, I just anecdotally known well,
1: uh, that... But the US, the system is, and this is something that Asia, for us in Asia when we're recruiting the US really struggle with, is because what, what they typically do is they start with a presentation or whatever on campus mm-hmm. and then they gradually funnel down through their activities on campus so it's much more campus driven so I might do uh, so first of all I'll do the presentation then I might do a a cocktail evening where I've looked through some CVs and I've picked people that I think might be suitable and then from there I start to see which candidates I might like to see to a case study for example and so then I bring them to case study so effectively you're almost doing the assessment centre it, as you're marketing on campus, um, but you're gradually screening down so that mm. actually when it comes to the interviews, they know enough about you and you know enough about them to actually complete it within an interview. So they're uh, all super day, as they call them from Asia. Super day. Yeah, yeah. when we go Excellent. over there, they're all super days. Do you think
0: that model could work in the UK?
1: Uh,
0: Where you go to campus and you interview uh, them? I, I mean, I think,
1: I think in some ways people are doing a similar... Uh, with, with, whereas they build more relationships with universities and they're on campus more, hmm. of course people are starting to feel and and see the people. I I think in the UK w- with the big push on social mobility, I think that's where we would probably start to see some candidates fall out. Yeah, based up not it wouldn't necessarily favour some some populations yeah. um, and I think it also depends on the hire so with the Indian one to be honest if you're hiring a very technical role then actually the academics and how they present themselves if you're just going to ask them some problems yeah. in an interview yeah. actually is enough to get them yeah. to get them in Yeah, so was
0: Ben um, t- talked about in the uh, podcast we did on um, psychometric testing yeah so, series one yeah series one things that re- require a high level of cognitive ability work much best Better on your simple academics or your results of particular yeah. tests, rather than an interview, actually doesn't really add that much to to that type of role. Yeah.
1: Totally. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So, uh, so, so back I'm to sorry. your question was around so the recruitment. So, in different locations, yeah, we absolutely. have different we have different things. So that's but India.
2: It's good focus on India.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's always interesting on India. Yeah. Um, and um, but in but in um, and that's not the same in every Indian university, but that's a, that's, a, that's the G- yeah, that's, that's the that's the top level. Okay. Um, but in terms of um, generally, um, it would follow very similar. So most of the companies out in Asia are now doing the online numerical and verbal reasoning test. One thing I would say which is definitely worthwhile from a UK perspective if you're working and implementing some of these tools mm. um, to kind of talk to the Asia team is, I've found that a number of people think it tests their English ability um, and actually there is n- nothing on there that tests their English ability. It's about their, yeah. the, the, the skills and the verbal skills that they're yeah, using yeah, yeah. and therefore actually to, to encourage them to encourage this, their, their candidates to take it in their local language if they can because otherwise you're not really seeing a fair... Um, assessment, assessment of, the, of that yeah. person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so normally you would see something along the lines of a numerical a verbal reasoning test. Yeah. Um, not normally much more than that, but normally too. Um, and then um, application forms or CVs. CVs are still very popular, like yeah. a, or a, a quasi-CV and, um, and a couple of questions. Um, you then tend to see um, a video interview. Um, which has been hugely helpful in the recruitment process for Asia um, right, I still recall locations. location time zones, yeah. setting them up I mean I can remember very vividly the amount of telephone interviews that would be set up but because of time zones either the candidate would miss it or and that would completely blow the team because they were trying to they were trying to telephone interview someone yeah. later in the day or early mm-hmm. in the morning so that they could fit their time zone and it just it was just really really complicated That's good um, yeah.
2: but talking about other podcasts we've done we had Adam Gretton mm. uh, he finished off series one and spoke about um, video interviews yeah. he works for Sonry. Yes, and yeah. yeah so how that kind of ex- example that you can allow you to look at it whenever you want yeah. just saves you all that kind of time of setting it up Asking for them to turn up, waiting for them to turn up. If yeah. they don't turn up, what happens then? Like, There's so much admin that goes around it.
1: There definitely actually, is, yeah.
2: Video interviews will help streamline that. Yeah, absolutely. But the
1: interesting thing, I think, that's not happening and there's something that we're working on in Asia is trying to emphasise to the students what the benefit of this video interview is. Yeah. Because I think, um, I certainly find lots of people struggle with that concept and would rather speak to someone on the telephone. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually understanding that, because sometimes our time from application to hire can be extremely long because you're dealing with these different locations as well so right. you might have people on hold in different locations what sort of time scale
0: might we
1: it around? could it could be as much as six months sometimes right. it's, it's okay. it, you know ridiculously long so that's something that I think most teams are trying to work on is reducing it so video interviews would be one of those yeah. but I think explaining why that part fits in, and what be- benefit has to the student, to students, and the candidates is really important. Yeah,
2: so you said um, that the reception from the student side is that they don't, what, they find it harder. Or what's your kind of they,
1: they they struggle? I think sometimes they struggle. Uh, to build, they feel like they're not building a relationship with somebody, and that's yeah. something that they really want, particularly where you've got candidates maybe applying from overseas to a, co- a company where they haven't had a chance to be in the office, or you know, that's something that we struggle with a little bit in terms yeah. of how do you visualize yourself in that environment. Is there any use
0: of VR? So we can like do a tour of the office, yeah, or, or, or whatever.
1: I, I haven't seen much. Um, there's a couple of companies that I know that in Asia that are using it for induction programs. So I'm guessing that we'll see it come through. Um, and, and I remember years ago, some of these, um, some of the, the systems used to have. You know, you could have a virtual tour, tour of yeah. the office. I mean, you sometimes see those, but um, not so much. And, and there's not so much trend at the moment in the earlier stages, where in the UK you tend to have insight days and spring sessions yeah. or whatever they might be in the first and second years. Yeah. Still in Asia, we're, we're normally on campus year three and year four um, of right, their degree. four years. That a is. lot of degrees are four years. Right, yeah. That
0: used to be the same in, in Europe. Yeah. I mean, not say in the UK, until the Bologna Accords, was it? Were they, What's this? Yeah, where they standardised degrees to be three years. So uh, it would be very common in, say, Spain or Italy. You could basically, you chose when you took your exams, so right. let's say you were studying four modules. If by the end of the year you thought, I'm not really ready for this one, you just took two modules, so your degree might take seven years or eight years, and you just stayed at university for a long time. Wow. But now, the, I think it was the Bologna, I could be wrong, but I think yeah. it was the Bologna course basically uh, made that three years, so that's all over Europe, it's the same. Okay. In the US it's four years, right, a degree.
1: I think so. Four years for us is, is probably standard, more standard than yeah. three years. And, and even to the extent where I, I think the universities have been doing quite a good thing in Hong Kong, there's a couple of universities where if they want to take a prolonged internship, so if they want to take six months off, mm-hmm. they actually just add that to the end of their degree. So it doesn't always help with you know, them rolling off and being neatly in your right. process. But what it does give them is flexibility to get some, some decent work experience as That's well.
2: Good. Yeah. Um, so do you think there'll be more employers thinking about doing your, your insight weeks or work experience th- day, open days.
1: I think we're getting there. Yeah. Um I, I it's interesting and I think this is something that um I think there's a, a certain I for me, when I look at the at the Asian market, I think there's it's great that actually we don't have the companies going in so early, so you very rarely will get a company going into a school. Um, and and directly saying, okay, this is who we are. This is what we what we do. So you don't have that very long relationship, mm. um, which in some ways gives the students more time to think about different careers, mm-hmm. um, and explore different things rather than putting the pressure early on. But I think we will start to see it. And I think the law firms have started doing it, and yeah. then as as they learn from the UK, and and, and I do think there's a neat, there's a, a, a and interest and appetite from it from the students yeah. but I think the broader kind of I don't know industries is probably yeah, more important it, at this point hard. yeah because I
2: think even in the UK we've got like the professional services law banks mm-hmm. all those industries have done you know work experience days or weeks and done them really well they're yep. a brilliant feeder for their internship program and then the graduate programs um, but only, only just now we're we starting to see more of like the IT firms starting mm. to run these programs, like engineering firms to start doing insight days. Yeah, I think BP do uh, a good one as well. Like, so this it's not particularly like as if everyone does it here. Yeah, I guess you just get enough talent through your interns or grad program.
0: It's also a lot of competition based, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Say, say within a particular industry. Say, say professional services. Usually, once one of the professional services yeah. firms starts doing something all the others are doing it within twelve yeah, months. They just follow. Same with law firms. Yeah. And so it often goes industry by in, industry by industry rather than uh, market by market. Because mm-hmm. it's about your direct competitors, isn't it? Have they yeah. got an advantage over us because they're doing this?
1: And and we're seeing we're seeing that kind of uh, on that note, we're seeing a lot of that happen with some of the other tests that we'd be putting putting in. So we're seeing more gamified assessments as well. Yeah. That's something that's taken off this last year. Where um, it certainly has happened in the professional services firms that and consultancies that one of them decided to take on a gamified assessment tool, yeah. and then the rest of them are like, "Oh well, actually, interestingly, we should we should go for it as well." Yeah, right. um, So we definitely have that that trend there. Yeah.
2: Do you think they'll work better in in Asia?
1: Uh, I think I think. Uh,
2: Not they don't work well here. I think they work well here. I think. I I mean,
1: it's still early days. I think with all of these. I I still one. There was a really interesting session that the Sage had uh, about a year ago in Singapore. Singaporean students tend to be a little bit more savvy and a little more more questioning of what the process is and why they're being asked to do something. And Mm -hmm. one of the responses was, you know why would you gamify something that's really serious to me my career is serious to me right. so why would you gamify that process because that's basically saying well it's not as important yeah. um, and that was only a few people that, you know that was a population giving some feedback on a, yeah, on yeah. a panel but I, I think I mean definitely we're into gaming in Asia there's a lot of trend there yeah. so I think, I think there's probably interest in it in terms of you know it's fun to do and, um, and, it, and, and hopefully it widens up uh, the scope, maybe even away from um, all of it being focused on academics as well, being able to pick up some of the skills. So yeah. I think, I think, I think it, it it's the, where it has been tried. It's being received well. It's just a case of mm. setting why why we're doing it and what yeah. what advantage it has.
2: Okay, so we explored quite a lot of the recruitment process there, mm-hmm. we've t- and we've touched on certainly geographically, like India, maybe an in- intricacy uh, mm-hmm. around India. Uh, are there other like intricacies that you see at different locations, or and in fact, do you need all all locations to be to have representatives coming into the business, or will you kind of take anyone who applies?
1: It, it uh, that varies p- from company to company. I mean, mm. some so there's obviously need for say, for example, if you've got a specific business that you're facing off to. Or, so for now, a lot of companies are developing in some of the the, the lesser developed. Uh, countries so mm-hmm. Vietnam, uh, Indonesia, um, mm-hmm. Myanmar. You're starting to see the need for people who have yeah. language skills in that. Yeah. So so evidently for that, you definitely are trying to find. J- Japan's always a complicated market to go for. Right. Uh, Japanese and English speaking doesn't go hand in hand as well as some mm-hmm. other countries, and actually finding. The Japanese speakers in in a English speaking university is also quite complicated, so that's that's always been quite complicated. Just because there um, aren't many
2: of them, was it? Uh,
1: I think, I think historically, mm-hmm. Japanese has been more important. So even even where yeah. you've got a, gl- a a global firm, e- and it's English speaking everywhere else, if you go to the Japanese office, often they speak Japanese still in there. Right. Um, so, um, so I th- I think there's a there's there's still a, a focus on keeping themselves their culture and and, and yeah. things there. So so that I think then gives us an, a harder time to find them yeah. in, in a Japanese news university. There's an, whereas in Hong Kong, in Singapore or Singaporeans mainly speak English anyway, which is something that I know my my team in the UK in the past always struggled with. You know, I think yeah. even when trainers had trained them. We used to get feedback, and it was like, "Oh, they're, they're doing really well considering English isn't their first language." And it's all like, well, English right. is their first language. Yeah, right. Um,
0: like another example of a lack of understanding of the of the market. Absolutely,
1: right? absolutely. I mean, they speak Singlish, which is an interesting version of English. Yeah, but but it, it, but um, uh, they definitely, you know, the, the English is, is their main spoken. In fact, in Singapore, they're struggling with keeping Mandarin. Um, they're they're having to really push they, that through. they also
0: have Tamil and Malay. As they do. The, languages that yeah
1: right. yeah absolutely so you know there's different the, and, and singapore has many different cultures within singapore and they mm. they do a good job at keeping keeping those going um so 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 lang so most other countries though english if it's an international company they'll speak english in the company in, yeah. the, in the office yeah. uh, even in in hong kong even though there's many cantonese speakers cantonese is probably stronger than english yeah. um for many of the many many people, English will be the spoken language. That's the accepted um, that you right. would speak in English. Whereas in Japan, not so much. Mm. Um,
0: Interesting
2: the insight. Yeah.
0: Should we move on to maybe some of the things that we can we can learn? So sure. things that the rest of the world could learn from Asia, and what um, Asia could learn from the rest of the world. Yeah. Where
2: I do you want, want to, to start? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's, so. I guess let's let's have a think about what Asia. Asia could learn from the rest of the world. I think, I, mean, I think we have made massive steps forward in Asia in terms of the recruitment but we're still probably behind in terms of thinking about it at a more strategic level yeah. and building longer relationships um, that will last rather than just kind of going in and, and operationally finding a solution. Mm. So this means like um, the
0: insight days, internships, building a longer relationship with people from yeah. when they start university. I suppose
1: absolutely, and also just having that strategic vision that right. a graduate may, you know, and where does graduate might lead onto a, a graduate position? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that would, that would certainly would be something that we can learn from, and stuff that's going on in the UK, I think, is 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 excellent um, um, in terms of building the strategy. Um, I think we also diversity is a really interesting one for us because actually there's there has in the past been very little focus on diversity. Mm -hmm. That's mainly been fuelled, I think, because actually we have a higher percentage of females um, studying STEM subjects. So actually, um, if I looked at my technology graduates, I actually had far more females than the the balance would have done in the UK, for example. So diversity
0: is different then, isn't it? It is different. So people think of diversity in the UK, they nearly always think of gender, STEM and BAME. Like yeah, black Asian minority yes. ethnic, yeah. and I guess diversity in Asia doesn't mean the same thing. No,
1: I mean, I'm, I mean, th- th- some of those issues are starting to come up. Sure. So, certainly, you know, females to leadership—that's that's that's definitely a discussion, mm. and retaining those females in the business is, is something that that's coming up. But yes, we're not looking at disabilities. We don't see very much about as mm. well um so so i think we can learn from some of that kind of inclusion social mobility there's there's very little being done so, there so what are the
0: big areas so social mobility lgbt L-
1: lgbt is yeah, yeah is is something that it's definitely come out um in terms come out <laughs> um, definitely we'll keep that in, that's good. <laughs> um, there um, has been um, definitely a focus over the last few years. You're seeing much yeah. more around that, and there's some people doing some great stuff in that space. Um, but we certainly haven't, that, that's new on the agenda for sure. Okay, yeah. Um, right. And
0: any other things though? Yeah, well,
2: been we haven't learnings. Talked about learnings, we haven't talked about apprenticeships.
1: Yeah, we don't see much on apprenticeships no, at all at the moment, not that's not, I, and I think that's, so that actually is probably one of the other learnings that, that Asia has from, from overseas, is yeah. that less focus on academics being the, the route to success um, in a, in a workplace, so academics are still seen as a, as the big indicator, so I, I actually had a think about this quite recently around, if, if you were going to build a programme, would you would you have any appetite for taking people who hadn't been through university? And my guess is actually that on both sides there would be not many people that don't go to university because that's the well in, in terms of that wanted to work in some of the, the bigger corporations yeah. because that's just the, the route that's been made for them and, and mm-hmm. parents' pressure to get into get the right academics is is, is rife. Um,
2: so it's driv- driven by the parents, you think? I think so. it's driven...
1: I mean, it's culturally that yeah. academics is seen as... And, and, and if you were going to... If you're going to work hard um, in, as as a parent, then what you're going to invest in is is academics and, and yeah. sending your children to a good university. You have that everywhere. You have it in the Philippines. A lot of the foreign domestic workers who are the maids that help in, in, in Hong Kong, mm. actually the sole reason that they're doing that is to give their children access to right. um, education.
0: i feel like these extracurricular schools are super popular in Asia. So yeah. after you finish your full day at school, you go and spend another three or four hours studying some more. Totally. At a separate private institutions.
1: Yeah, and that's definitely. I mean, that's that's massive.
0: And it's just um, trying to get ahead, just incrementally to get a it better. It's so
2: highly valued.
1: Yeah, it's it's very highly valued. I think I think um, it's interesting. I've spoken to a few um, people who ha- who are older and have said. I wish that we were starting to change that, and I think there's support that actually it needs to change. But slowing them down is is, is very difficult. Once you're on that passage to do it, I think. I mean, I think if uh, more employers in Asia would would follow some of the UK where we take away the academic results as a as a screening tool, that yeah. would that would definitely help. But but getting to that point and persuading people that that is a necessary mm. requirement is is very difficult. Um, I mean, it's shocking. We have a very low, uh, very low age of uh, suicide. I think Hong Kong has one of the lowest ages reported, where a seven-year-old committed suicide because he didn't get into the school that his oh, wow. parents wanted him to get to. Absolutely. So you've wow. got pressure really early. Yeah. You have they have interviews for the for preschool. Even even uh, um, three or four, they could be going home with. Loads of homework, so you know, and, and and kids stay up a lot later as well, which is a really w- random thing from from a, particularly right. from an English perspective. You still see kids around at like eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock at night, mm. um, because that's what they do. So and the then kids in
2: the UK have just got it. they got, it, got easy. it easy, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so. Um, and um, is there anything that you think the UK could really get from, from Asia?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we touched on the fact that learning about different cultures, I think Asia, you have to focus on not just seeing one solution for all. You have to look at what you would need to adapt to, to different um different locations and to different groups of people so actually interesting on the diversity what we're not doing is doing loads on the diversity but we're probably doing it in a different way because we're also looking at inclusion just generally Mm. Um, and so we're always considering different groups of people and how that would impact if it's location-based or or how how to how to deal with difficult things and that also leads on to the second one which is I think we're better at at sometimes um, because of that at trialing new technologies or you know adapting things so China I mean China is moving so so fast the amount of new stuff that's coming through everyone who goes
0: there whenever I speak to friends who go to China they're always like oh my god it's just like you can't imagine how fast it's no
1: I mean there's so many new things And, and that's that's interesting even in the university spectrum so I think when I think i referred at the beginning to the fact that you know, in the ten years, it's grown. But actually, what we're starting to see now is actually a lot of Chinese students are deciding to stay within China more and more so. Because if they were to leave China, even for a short period of time, even if it was an an internship or um, if they're working, if they're away for a couple, you know a couple of months, they've missed so much because the move, movement's going really? so fast. Really, wow.
2: So because so, they can't, I guess previously, you'd, so they come to the UK to get a different experience, mm-hmm. to get um, yes, so
0: maybe a more prestigious education. as well, I think.
2: Yeah. But then now actually that may, you think that may shift because of Chinese universities becoming more prestigious themselves and challenging the yeah.
1: your red bricks
2: in the UK and obviously your big ones in the US. Mm. And
1: you're starting to get, well you're also starting to get what's called transnational education which is where a UK or US university is setting up something in right. Asia as well. So we, we see a few of those coming through as well. Oh, yeah. um, and so that, that will change that as well. Um, yeah. But yes, exactly. So they sort of
0: use their, their name and make loads of money.
1: Absolutely.
2: Basically. Yeah. Well, loads of uh, uh, unis that aren't in London set up a London campus, don't they?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also doing it now with schools as well. They are. Some of the school franchises are setting up, and using their name in, in other parts of the world.
1: Yeah. So I think I think that that will change, but I, I guess in terms of the speed, in terms of. Um, the adoption to new ideas and new technology I mean if I look at if I look at some of the discussions so for example if we even look at the, the gamifying in assessments I mean that discussion has been going on in the UK for what 10, 15 10 years, maybe, mm-hmm. the discussion yeah. around yeah. gamifying it. Maybe
0: five years, people are doing it seriously.
1: But, but it's taken time to get yeah. there, whereas I think the discussion came to Asia and very, very quickly people have adopted it. So, oh, yeah. you know, I think that that's that's an interesting so we, part. I suppose
0: we, we could find ourselves in in sitting here in 10 years' time on series 37. <laughs> and we might and it find is. that... <laughs> He's in or, a frame. <laughs> we, we may well find that, uh, you know, in lots of areas, maybe maybe Asia is actually at the forefront of graduate recruitment because well, it's moving so quickly. I mean my, my,
1: what I think would be amazing and I think it's probably not that far-fetched to, to, to consider is actually what will happen in the future is it will be this disc- discussion whereas I'm coming over to the UK to talk to universities or whatever and, and yeah. finding out about their universities and, and trying to sell companies in, in, in Asia to the UK universities I think we'll see the flip I actually think you'll see UK recruiters coming to our universities in Asia Uh, and I've I've been kind of talking about this a little bit in, in, in our markets and saying, you know, you've got to be aware of this because mm. suddenly mm. it's going to get competitive and in which case Asia recruiters will have to raise the game to, to, to in, in keep recruiting to Asia rather than having to, you know, the, the competition is, is fairly small within Asia because you're only against other Asian companies which are still big but not, not in comparison of having other countries coming to your universities and trying to recruit back. It'd be
0: interesting to see um, if the percentage of European or US students who are studying in, the, in Asia mm. increases and how much that increases over time? That's already happening. Right, um,
1: okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and, and yeah, it's absolutely happening and there's some really interesting students that are coming across and, and deciding they want to start their career in Asia mm-hmm. uh, without necessarily having a tie. So. Yeah,
0: super cool. Okay. Yeah. I love this. Um, is there anything we haven't asked you yet that we, we should have asked you? We haven't
2: offered you a chocolate finger yet, have we? I think
1: it's they're probably melted now. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it's got a it?
2: I'll get them open just for yes, the final, please. final <laughs> yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that gives you a bit of time to think about maybe a question we haven't asked you. Um. Yeah, oh, they are melting. Oh, no. oh they oh, are. Just they leave are them. I think you are going to leave them. No, no, no. Because no, no, no. you end up that chocolate everywhere. I'm a
1: mum. This is what happens. <laughs> I'm that. not a father, so I'm happily going to get <laughs>
2: this everywhere. Uh, probably <laughs> give it to Anna first rather Sorry, than myself. Yeah? I, I actually think I can't do it. I'm everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: probably think it's going to be. Yeah, it's not going to be as nice. Oh, it? it's
2: all right. It's not that bad.
1: Mmm. <laughs> So <laughs> haven't changed the recipe, that's what people keep doing, when I come back, the recipes have changed, it's not as good. Mm. Um, are there any questions? I mean, there's heaps, Asia is, there's so much we could discuss about, and I um, yeah. think... We can I do a
2: take two, maybe, maybe the, the away leg will come to Singapore. Yeah. Wonderful, oh, yeah, we'd two.
1: love to see you there.
0: <laughs> we'd love to see us there.
1: <laughs> let's um, see if we can make that happen. Let's
2: have to see if our sponsors will uh, allow that, but...
1: Maybe now that you've advertised uh, Cadbury's fingers Mm. so well that they might jump in. That is a very,
2: very niche one for them. I can
0: actually say that they're my favourite biscuits. Yeah. They're they're (laughs) the best biscuits in the world. Now I've got chocolate
1: everywhere.
2: Just in case anyone from Cadbury's is listening. So back to any questions we have. Not asked you, you'd like to share?
1: I think I think we'll leave it for now. I think that, okay. I think we're yeah we're good. We
0: well, thanks very very much for coming on. Thank you for our gift. Thank you for coming all the way from no Hong problems. Kong to see us today. Um, I've been Jack and I've been Ollie
1: and I've been your Asian correspondent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank, Thank very you very much. Yeah. For all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show.